Well, hello everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky guys. The Lanky guy. Did you interrupt me? We interrupt each other every single week when we do that. I know. We we really need to kind of be nicer to each other. Let's try it again. (laughs) It's gonna be just as bad. Okay. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky guys. I'm Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset. And you're listening to us. And here we go. Yeah, absolutely. We are recording remotely. I'm on vacation in the Netherlands right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in the Netherlands. I'm sorry that I lied to you. I, I'm uh, I'm in East Denver. I'm uh, hanging out and it's a beautiful, sunny Easter day. And uh, Here in Boulder as well. Yeah, it, it yeah. is. In, well, I'm not in Boulder. No, no, but it's a beautiful sunny day in Boulder where I am. Uh, we're remote. I mean, it's not a, It's not quite like recording from England. Yeah, from we're not o- that remote. Oxford. Hello, I'm I'm dialing up from Oxford because I'm there. Cheerio. Cheerio. Yeah, you know, I, I have to say that uh, after the Easter vigil, um, you know, I do a little bit of vacationing because mm. it's uh, it's really exhausting and totally awesome. It's like the best thing in the world. Um but man, it's good to it's good to look, get a little break after the intensity of Easter and everything. No doubt. And you had a long. I mean, the whole it's the whole week, man. It is. It is. It's it's it, and and you can never underestimate like going through the mysteries, putting yourself existentially where the Lord is. Like, it's 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 a lot of work to go through the Passion with Him and then to rise again. But when you rise again, it's the awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then you and then you uh, stay up really way too late on 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 the uh, night of the vigil. I didn't. We had fleeting thoughts of taking the kiddos to the Easter vigil, but three hours is just too. There will there will be a day, but on Saturday night was not the day. <laughs> yeah, I got to bed at four. You got to bed at four. I know. And then you did the morning masses too. I did know. you do the nine o'clock as well as the eleven? I did. I felt totally Holy irresponsible. Baloney. Why, well, you had no choice, did you? Because you and Father John both did simultaneous masses, didn't you? Well, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I had a choice to stay up to four in the morning. Oh, <laughs> that was irresponsible. Not saying mass on Easter Sunday was not the irresponsible part. No, no, saying mass, uh, yeah. it, it was good. It was actually really beautiful. Like, I, I was so happy. Our, our, my, my podcast uh, with you helped me out tremendously to kind of like see the vision for the readings and help people kind of enter in. It was really awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, that was a that was a marathon trying to get all eighteen readings in one podcast, and I think we hit all of them to some degree or another, except for one psalm, which is like at the end. Dude, I wasn't okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It was both of our faults. It was not. No, no. It was not it just was, me. It was not it, just. I you. purposely skipped it because we needed to finish. Yeah, but if you listened last week, thanks for sticking with us for forty eight minutes or 47 minutes or whatever it was that was a long one it was and this week uh it's gonna be a short one it will it's it's back to normal but we're still in easter so we are recording this on what day is it? Wednesday. wednesday which is technically still easter sunday according to the church calendar for the eight days after easter it's still easter so that's pretty exciting it is very exciting I, so happy easter happy easter to you too thanks man everything's super I, and you I'm, know Part yeah. of the problem, though, because you're not here, you don't give me my, my regular cup of coffee, mm. which is just, I, I feel a little bit out of it. Although, I got to go, because it is Easter now, and I'm celebrating, I went to my second favorite coffee place, other than you, 
which is Innisfree on the hill, which makes oh. a mean cup of coffee. If you live in Boulder, go to Innisfree. Yeah, dude, those guys are awesome, and they're they know really, what they're doing, and they're really relaxed. It's like a yeah, good place chill. to be. I like it. What I give them up for East, or for Lent, so now I'm back. Hey. And I got some new um, uh, espresso cups from nice. my grandma. Well, I mean, my grandma like had them, Good and my grandma. parents gave them to me. Nice. Yeah. Well done. Well, I'm excited to use them. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, we also wanted to, you know, we were talking about this last week, and um, we always try to give some shout-outs uh, to folks. Um, I give my shout-out to Innisfree Coffee Shop, which is great. But, you know, we also want to we want to include you guys in this podcast, our faithful listeners, and we're really happy that you do listen. And we want to invite you, if you guys have thoughts on the readings, if you have insights that you've received, you know, send us an email. Shoot it over. We'd love to, we'd love to know your thoughts. We'd love to have this actually be a conversation with you. So lankyguys at thomascenter.org. And, yeah, we, we want to we wanna hear what you guys think as well. Absolutely. We will uh, we will use every bit of knowledge and information because this is our... Unless our... we dislike it. <laughs> or disagree and then, with and, it. And then we'll mock you openly. Or ignore it. Oh, yeah. That's actually a better option. I'm a priest. I can't mock you openly on the air. I would never do it anyway. We can judge you on our hearts, though. Yeah. Dude, okay, we got we to get to these readings. We're like seven and a half minutes in. These people are going to be bored with us. Yeah, they are. They're already bored with us. They're like, dude, why are you going... So let's get to the Acts, the okay. Acts of the Apostles, because I, I was watching um, I was watching a blacksmith uh, on the internet today. I, I like I just saw a link of some dude making a sword. So I did you say it, a link of some sort? A link? Did you say a, a link? A link of some sort? It was. <laughs> I thought I heard link. No, I just yeah. always hear link. Dude, we're gonna call them internet links. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so click on the link, and uh, you will uh, be uh, transported to the. Acts of the Apostles. So every time I hear the word axe, I always think of the uh, like battle weapon or the tree cutting device. Oh, axe, A-X-E. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, the axe of the apostles. <laughs> the axe of the apostles. Did you know, um, so the Greek word for axe, acts, <laughs> now you've got me saying it. <laughs> but the Greek word for acts um, is the word uh, praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. Which was actually, in the time that this was written, that was actually a literary genre. So there was a genre of writings called the acts of, you know, fill in the blank. So there was a book, there was a really popular writing floating around called the acts of Caesar Augustus. And basically the, the uh, I guess the equivalent um, literary genre is like historical biography. And they always told anything that was called praxis or the acts of was usually a story about a great figure who built a city. So Caesar Augustus, right? Julius Caesar, they built the great city of Rome. And so Luke is, is kind of usurping that genre and he's titling it Acts of the Apostles to show that um, he, he's trying to make a really firm point that this isn't just Caesar building the great city of Rome. These are the apostles helping to build up the great city of the church, which is kind of a beautiful insight into, um, it's not just, you know, oh, Acts, it's the stuff that they did. No, I mean, he's he's uh, cluing in his audience by calling it that. It's kind of neat. That's awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's throwing down on Caesar. Throwing down. Should be doing. Ho, ho. Dude, I so, have to say that the Acts always has struck me and my brother, Neil Mussett, who is a big fan of the podcast as well. There's um, a good shout out. Yeah. As, um, as, an awesome movie out of all of the biblical accounts i mean there's a couple that would be phenomenal as as movies i mean like or yeah. a, a mini series uh, like take the acts of the apostles 
and you'd see Peter and throwing down and the conversion of Paul and <laughs> all this insanity. People making tents and Olympics and like people getting healed and like miraculous stuff. People getting killed. I mean, it's like the thing is awesome. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, that's good, the, good work. Yeah, that that so that that one that one's gonna be sweet when and we finally have enough special effects to be able to make it happen too. When it comes out, man. You mean yeah. we personally? We, we, yeah, yeah, we. we, we, we will make it. Yeah, because many signs and wonders were done among the people, and we need to show the signs and the wonders of the new city of God. Absolutely, man. You know what? The, so one of the things I was searching, but the reason I was so distracted, I apologize. Um, this reading reminding me. I mean, there's. What, what do you say about this reading? I mean, this is showing. First of all, what what what's the feature of Acts of the Apostles? Acts of the Apostles. It's it's part two of Luke's gospel, right? So it's it's the second volume, and the way that Luke sets it up, Luke's gospel is all about what Jesus did, and if you follow the two narratives really closely, all of the things that the apostles do in Acts of the Apostles are the very things that Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke. So you see Jesus raising people from the dead. You see Jesus curing lepers. You see Jesus doing all this stuff. And then the, the you know, I'm sure there were countless things that the apostles did, but he chooses to tell you about all the things that mirrored the things that Jesus did in the Gospel. So you get the sense that this is the continual, even the way that Acts of the Apostles begins, I don't have my Bible in front of me. I think it says that it, it the way he begins is something like the continuation. Oh, he said, uh, it's, it's, he talked, Luke talks about it all the, <laughs> in the first <laughs> book, O Theophilus, that's how he begins, right? In the first yep. book, O Theophilus, I taught, I, I talked about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. And by telling that, you know, mentioning that the gospel was all the things Jesus began to do, the implication is that actually the apostles is what he continues to do through the hands of the apostles now. But it's a it's a cool way to look at it. A friend of mine, when I worked at the Denver Catholic Biblical School, actually made a chart of the, all the parallels in the you know the miracle stories of Jesus and then the miracle stories of the apostles, and they're doing the exact same things. Because remember that great story when when Saul is converted and he's thrown to the ground on the road to Damascus. Remember when when Saul is thrown to the ground, he becomes Paul. Yeah. And uh, what what does the Lord say to him? Do you remember? Uh, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, and think about that for a second. I mean, Saul, says, Saul. Yeah, Saul, Saul. Why are you, I mean, what's Saul, who's Saul persecuting? The church. Right, but what does Jesus say? Why are you persecuting me? Me. So there's this interesting insight. I mean, it, it's, for for Jesus, what Paul is persecuting is not just these individuals in the church, he's actually persecuting him. So in the Acts of the Apostles, it's really clear that the church is Jesus, literally. I mean, Jesus says it to Paul. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a neat way to look at the whole deal. Yeah, and and that's why we can sing "We Are One Body," right? One body in Christ, dude. I think that was uh, written for World Youth Day, nineteen ninety-three. By the way, ninety-three it was. I saw the lady who wrote it in person was at the singing? old Mile High Stadium. Yeah, was, she was singing. Did you go to that? I did. Did you? I did. I probably went to meet girls. I didn't really understand the faith at the, at the time. <laughs> I, but, I went. I went, and I was like. I went downtown actually one day and I was like, what, what are all these people doing here? Was the, is the Pope here or something? And then they were, my dad was like, uh, the Pope's here. And I was like, well, I'm Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and then you stole all the signs. We went through this over a couple of podcasts ago. Yeah, I know. And then you felt terrible because I everyone know. lost their way because of you. I know. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They weren't. That's well, okay. Well, that that's awesome. I mean, th- th- this is the thing that we see... You know, now that you kind of gave that principle that 
what we're seeing in Acts is that the apostles are imitating the works of Christ. Yeah. Then we're just straight up seeing them, you know, healing the sick, exactly. you know, uh, you know, casting out demons and yeah. and gathering large numbers of people from the towns and and just re-imitating the work of Christ. Yeah, and there's huge numbers of people that are flying. In chapter 4, the chapter right before this, it talks about all the numbers that are being added to them. And the thing I was looking for before, it's this letter that was written in the first century by a guy named Aristides, who was a Roman lawyer. And he wrote a letter to the emperor Hadrian, uh, who was emperor at the time, who was curious about these Christians. What are they like? And he, I, I couldn't find the whole letter. I've got it somewhere in my office. But he wrote this letter basically saying these Christians, and he's just a secular guy. He was just curious, basically doing you know a report. And he was saying, these Christians, they're, they're a new kind of people. They love one another. They never fail to help widows or orphans. If one of them is poor, then they'll fast for many, many days to give them the food that they need. You know, if somebody's in prison, they visit him. They, if they see a stranger, they take him home as though that he were a real brother. Um, they don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers in the spirit. And he says, truly, this is a new kind of person. And I think it's remarkable that, I mean, you know, follow the act of the apostles. We, we get down on our culture because our culture is in pretty bad shape, I think. But, I mean, the church in the first century was able to convert the most corrupt, the most hedonistic nation, culture, empire known to man. The Roman Empire became Catholic, became Christian because of that witness. And that's what you see them doing in Acts of the Apostles. And I, one of the things I love about Pope Francis is I, I, I always get the sense, and people are criticizing certain things, but I certainly get the sense that he's taking the church back to this, this kind of simpler ideal that did, in fact, change and convert the entire world at the time. And he's bringing us back to this kind of simplicity. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I have it, and I think it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Some of the things, some of the things I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. I, I, I'm not above being like, dude, you're convicting my heart to go to something deeper and and totally. um, and and more powerful in converting than uh, what I'm doing right now. Totally, totally. So, we so there's you nope. good. Nope. 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 Okay. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say let's go. Let's, let's go. So it's responsorial psalm, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, Psalm 118. Psalm, so it's funny, Psalm 118 is actually, I think, you best read Psalm 118 as a response to the gospel. So not to get ahead of ourselves, but the gospel is going to tell us the story of, of you know, when, um, well, no, that's not, that's not true. Actually, the, the gospel is a little bit uh, something else. It's when Jesus appears to the disciples. But the reading we got from Easter Sunday, when the women went to the tomb and they saw this, and then Peter and John ran, and they saw all these things, Everything that we read about last week in the gospel, this, this sort of discovery that the tomb is empty, Psalm 118 is then the response to that. That's how we ought to answer. What, what should their response be when they saw the tomb is empty and Jesus is risen? It's give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. His love is everlasting. So, you know, and I was reading a, a, a writer, Patrick Henry Reardon, who's an Orthodox theologian, and he says, you know, this is how Psalm 118 is to be read. It's to be read as a response to Easter Sunday. And it's the Old Testament preparing us for that. So everything you, you read last Sunday, the psalm this week is our answer to that, which is a neat way to read it. Like, it no, is. This is what we, this is the response. This is what we've been preparing for for thousands of years. And now here it is. They give thanks to the Lord for he's good. I was talking to uh, one of the guys who came into the church this last Sunday, Jacob Pelishad. Hmm. And, uh, and he was, uh, we were just talking about his conversion and, and him coming into the church and, 
one of the things that he said to me, which has just really convicted my heart, and I, I think it's so beautiful. And he said, really, the only true prayer is gratitude, is thanksgiving. Yeah. That in some ways, like to recognize, and of course, that, that takes nuance. And of course, there is there's plenty of true prayer. But there, yeah, there yeah, was, there's a certain sense in which no matter what's going on, even in the midst of the Lord doing things that are way beyond the, the scope and capacity of your soul, um, you give thanks. Even when mm. you are suffering and you are falling apart, you still give thanks. And you'll find that even in the the worst of the um, struggles, particularly in the Psalms. I was yeah. hard-pressed in falling, and the Lord came to help me. My strength and my courage is in the Lord. And yeah. uh, I think it's beautiful. And I also think it's beautiful that um, since in 118, we have the stone which the builders rejected is so rich because right. we, we have Christ as the cornerstone. Right. We've got Peter as the rock. And yeah. we've got the stone rolled back like this this whole concept of this stone, this cornerstone, the stones would themselves would cry, would cry out if the out. apostles didn't do it. Yeah, the stones. That's a pretty important metaphor. I just love it. I, I think it's a really important one. That's cool. That's really cool. And then we get then we get a weird wild card. I was actually surprised when I found out that the second reading is actually from Revelation. Which Revelation. I, movement. Uh, no, that's Exodus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my head. I know. Bob Marley, He's he's got a lot of scripture going, I guess. I know, he does. Isn't there a rumor that he was actually became a devout Catholic at the end of his life? Didn't Chris Stefanik write an article about that? I uh, I don't know. I, I I remember hearing that. I do, too. Chris Stefanik was, was who I heard it from, who's a great Catholic speaker, if you've never heard of him before. but uh, Is, is, not was. Did I say was? Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, he still is. Yeah, yeah. He still is. He, he still Don't worry, is. Chris. You're still out there. What's up, Chris? You. Okay. Anyway, um, neither here nor there. But Revelation. So I, yeah. So I was, I was looking at this, trying to figure out what, what's the connection here. So, so John, this is the very beginning of the book of Revelation, and it's John, um, the John, the Apostle John is what's what's most traditionally believed who wrote this, giving uh, kind of a little bit of his his history, the the backstory. He says, "I, John, your brother, I share with you the distress." The kingdom and the endurance we have in Jesus, I found myself on the island called Patmos, which was a prison colony in the first century. So he was basically imprisoned. He was put away on this penal colony on the island of Patmos, probably, he says, because I proclaimed God's word and I became, I gave testimony to Jesus. And John's just about to be caught up into this really profound vision that's going to make up the book of Revelation. But which here is, at the beginning... Which is which is awesome. I mean, th- th- yeah. this, this uh, Revelation 1-9, it gives the context... For the entirety of the book of Revelation, oh, yeah. exactly. I mean, this, which, which is beautiful because this yeah. actually gives us a context for um, how Easter Sunday yeah. now relates to every other Sunday of the year. Totally, and yeah, it totally does. I mean, he says, "I was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day," and that little, that tiny little line packs a huge wallop. Um, it's the Lord's day, which which we know is Sunday. In the New Christian Church, John's writing this a little bit later, um, so that that Sunday has probably been established by this point instead of Saturday, which is the previous Sabbath day. But he said, "I was caught up in the Spirit." And in, in ancient Christian writings, in the early church writings, in the Spirit, being caught in the Spirit is actually shorthand for them for being in the Mass. So John is presumably in Mass, saying Mass on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, and it's in that context that he begins to see all these things. 
and what what he's going to see and and you know we just did a whole class on this last semester or the beginning of this semester but really what what John is going to see in this vision of revelation which is so confusing to all of us is two different things i mean on one hand he's going to see in this kind of apocalyptic sense in this this uh you know this this visionary way he's going to see precisely what happened to Jesus and he's going to see calvary from the heavenly point of view you know there's two perspectives on this there's what we see on the ground and we look up and we see a guy hanging on a cross, but then there's the heavenly perspective. And if you were in heaven, you'd be seeing Jesus in high priestly robes going into the sanctuary, offering the sacrifice, which is going to save the world with incense and bells and angels and singing and everything else. So John is seeing on one hand, the things that Jesus actually did, but then he's going to go on at the end of the book of Revelation to see what is still to come and how Jesus is going to culminate all this at the end of time. So what I kind of like about this reading on the second Sunday of Easter is you get John smack in the middle, basically saying this is what is just, literally for us, just happened. And he's going to go on to say this is what will be. And so we're, we're living in the in-between, so to speak, right now, right? We've been waiting for Christ. Christ has come. He has conquered death. But we're still waiting to kind of see how that's going to play itself out. And we're waiting to see the fulfillment of that. So John in Revelation is the bridge for us between what happened and what's still happening. That's, that's awesome. my thought. That's my thought on it. Yeah, that's a gr- that's great. To, it, it helps us actually to tune in and to yeah. be become present to this specific moment in context, both liturgically but historically. Yeah, yeah, that's that because it took me a while to try to nail down why why is the church giving us this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, and that leads us to the gospel. Gospel first day of the week. First day of the week. This is this is. The, I always feel like Thomas, this is the gospel about Dom, doubting Thomas, and I always feel like Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap. Dude, I have to say, I, I've always been a little bit frustrated with um, this whole scene. Like, Thomas, man, he's he's um, he's a little abrasive in this moment, but, I mean, I, I know that there's <laughs> yes. a purpose, and, like, and like the Lord is really calm and takes the high road with him and kind of opens himself <laughs> up to, to well, him. Oh, literally. Oh, oh shoot. <laughs> what a weird! <laughs> that's wow. weird. Yeah, it just that's... got it just got weird on us. Yeah, dude, that's. Cool. But he does. He does. He makes himself very vulnerable. Yep. Okay. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> dude. You know the the other thing is is that I love John twenty because. Um, what this particular moment allows me to do when I'm talking to a lot of people is to help them remember that there is something established with the church in relationship to forgiveness of sins. Because he says, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, whose yep. sins you retain are retained, which in the statement itself implies a confession of sin. Yes. You can't. It's not like it's just me and Jesus where I can just go vertical, but there, there is actually an entity in a body that has received in a very specific way and so you i mean it gets really hard to juggle this one if it's just me and jesus and and i just go to him for for forgiveness because there has to be some sort of mechanism that's being spoken of so that i can understand how how would it mean that uh, sin would be retained that's that now the other part of that one this that's a hard question what does it mean to retain a sin that's oh I've yeah I've always struggled with that a little bit personally, what just what that means. Well, do you, you retain know, the, people's sins a lot? 
Well, <laughs> sorry. Uh, what happens in, in confession? You know how you the priest asks you for an act of contrition. Yeah. Well, there are two things that are essential to an act of contrition. The first one is you have to say, "I'm sorry for my sins." Like you yeah. actually, ha- like sorrow for your sin is an essential component to confession. And then the second sure. part is is that you want to not do it again. Right. So if you don't do an act of contrition, meaning I'm sorry for my sin and I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. If you don't do that, you're there's th- then the priest has the right to say, brother, you have to figure that out, or sister, you have to figure that out, until you've actually until you're actually sorrowful and until you want to intend not to do this again with a firm intention of will, then you uh, th- then your sin is going to be retained. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so that hmm. that's uh, that's so that's that's actually where that that fits in. And you know, just in case. You know, in case you missed it or you doubted, I mean, this is not the first time Jesus has said this. He says it, gosh, off the top of my head, I can think of at least three different times that he says this. He says it at the Last Supper, right, to the apostles. He says it uh, when he gives Peter the keys, right? Or he says some version of it. I mean, he says the equivalent when he gives Peter the keys in Matthew 16. Yep, he does. Um, So, I mean, this isn't just kind of a one-shot thing that you could easily misinterpret. He's actively been through the Gospels giving them this authority. And if it's not some sort of actual authority, then it, it really kind of sucks the, uh, the, the the depth and the meaning out of this. I mean, he really gave them authority to do something because of his authority. I mean, it's not through their own volition, but it's through him. But he, he he's generous enough with humanity that he actually gives us means to do this stuff. So the priest, you know, the priest really has authority to do these. And we really do go to him. It's not just a reminder of God. I mean, he actually is in the person of Jesus Christ, which is just a neat, just a neat thing. It is a very neat thing. And the confession was one of the most beautiful places. I mean, I got, I got a chance to hear everything from a single two hour confession, which Whoa. was, which was intense. And Whoa. I needed a nap afterwards to, yeah. you know, to hearing hours of confessions of individuals for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, two minutes, just, hearing and being able to forgive sins and when you're there and you're experiencing it it is profound what the lord does because you can ask any priest and they will tell you oh yeah when the lord works it is like way beyond just some sort of individual priest sitting there with some wisdom but the holy spirit is active and profound to heal in a way that is awesome yeah no kidding well, one last thing on this. This is this is the thought that jumped to my mind when I read the gospel, and it relates to what you said about the psalm. So we, you know, we're talking about the psalm. We're giving thanks to the Lord for He's good, but that all came through the midst of, of quite a bit of suffering that Jesus had to do to get to that point, and that's kind of brought home, I think, in the gospel. Because so here you have this scene, this famous scene. Jesus shows up. He appears to the disciples. Thomas, you know, was at I don't know. He was at Starbucks or something. He he wasn't there. So he misses it, and then he comes back, and he's like, oh, man, <laughs> Jesus was here. I mean, imagine that. That would just stink. It Jesus was. rises from the dead, and you missed it. You were at McDonald's. <laughs> so here he comes. So there he is, and he uh, and, and Jesus comes back, and he's like, this is great. And he's there in their midst, and he, you know, Thomas is doubting, and he says to Thomas, put your finger in my side and in my hands. Now, I think it's weird that Thomas wants to put his finger <laughs> into Jesus' hole in his side, yeah. But what's much weirder than that is the fact that Jesus still has holes in him, isn't it? It is. I, mean, I always point this out in class and stuff. I mean, think about that. Jesus, 
has been resurrected from the dead. He's been glorified. He's walking through walls for Pete's sake. They don't even recognize him. He's so glorious. Yet he retains these big gaping holes on his hands and in his side and in his feet, which is just fascinating because, you know, if you're going to construct a resurrected body that's glorious and that's perfect, I wouldn't have included the big, you know, bloody holes, but he does, which just tells me something really important about the faith because we don't, we don't have a faith or a God who's just going to say, okay, well, if you, you know, I mean, this is the health and wealth gospel that was so popular in our country for so long. If you just follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be super. No, I mean, Jesus says, if you, if you follow me, there, there's going to be actually big, gaping, painful holes. But he retains those holes even after the resurrection as a sign that, no, look, these have been made. It's not that I just wiped the pain away. It's that I've actually made the pain something glorious and, and something to, to look to and a sign. So such to the point, you know, where we hang crosses from our necks and our rearview mirrors, which are basically just hanging electric chairs from our necks, right? It's just a, a mechanism of execution. But it's it doesn't wipe that away. And this is why I think it's so important that, especially Catholics, you know, we keep the corpus on the cross more than almost any other group of Christians because we we realize, you know, you need that pain. We need the suffering. And it's not that Jesus just wipes away the suffering. He takes the suffering and he transforms it into something powerful, which is much, I mean, isn't that the kind of God that you'd want anyway? Not just somebody who will wipe it all away, but who can actually take all of your baggage and your pain and actually transform it. Into something profound and glorious yeah. and meaningful. Right. Yes. Yeah. That you can stick your fingers in. Yeah. That's <laughs> tangible. It's, it's that's tangible, that, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 real, the pain that you actually experience in your life is real. And like, I, you know, and I, I do... I do some campus ministry and I'll tell you what, it's a lot of times people have a hard time actually experiencing the pain in their lives and they do a lot of crazy stuff to get there. Yeah. A lot of sinful things. And so the Lord's saying, no, 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 the, 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 the pain in your life, I'm going to actually take to myself permanently. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. And, and make it beautiful in my will. Hmm. That's why I think, I mean, if, if we look, you know, again, this is Divine Mercy Sunday. So all of these things, um, they join together. I mean, the first reading is about, you know, healing and mercy and the church taking up the works of Christ and, yeah. and, and then praising the Lord and the psalm for these, these profoundly good works um, and, and seeing that that is actually celebrated on Sunday, that that yeah. is the, the, the day that this kind of the Sunday... The, the new Sabbath comes at the, the head of everything and that it all flows from this, this Easter grace and that it's accessible to us so that we really have mercy from God in a very real, tangible way in the midst of the pain that we experience. Yep, exactly. It's really powerful. It is. It's there beautiful. you have it. Happy Easter. Happy that's Easter. What all, that's what it's all about, man. Yes, it is. Oh, I am uh, I am so happy, and I like I like resting during Easter week because I'll tell you what, man, it's uh, the Lord has won. The Lord and and sin and death is defeated, and we have new life in Him, and we are free. Well, it's kind of the most appropriate thing to do if Sunday is the new Sabbath, then that lasts for eight days. <laughs> so, rest it up, man. Rest it up, people. Thanks for joining us today. We are the Lanky Guys. This the word on the hill. Um, email us at. Lanky guys dot, um, no, yeah. Lanky guys at Thomas Center dot, dot org. org. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. 
<laughs> Yahtzee. Yahtzee. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week. <laughs>